Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Jared Williams. Thanks for being on the show, Jared. Yeah, thanks, Whitney. I'm uh, been excited about it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been great to get to know you quite a bit over the last uh, several months now and look forward to having you on in this discussion. I think you can add a lot of value to the way we are thinking about investing and thinking through some of that. So I'm looking forward to, to getting into this. But a little about Jared, he's the founder of Biblical Wealth Solutions. He's the host of the Biblical Wealth Podcast, and he's on a mission to revolutionize Christian personal finance. So, Jared, thank you again. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit on who you are, maybe where you're located, your focus, and let's kind of dive into what does that mean, biblical wealth solutions and and how you're going to revolutionize uh, just Christian personal finance and why we should be concerned with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm based out of Tennessee. I'm uh, married, have three kids. My wife homeschools the kids. And so, you know, between between business and, and family and church, that's, that's pretty much my life. I used to have hobbies. <laughs> Not so much anymore. Although I enjoy, changed, right? yeah, it changes. Yeah. yeah, it changes a lot. But, but I enjoy all the things that I'm getting to do today. So yeah, coming to Biblical Wealth Solutions was certainly a journey, a process. I think many providential things happened along the way. But, but ultimately, I'm seeking to, to solve two problems. Problems. So one was introduced to me, and that was the, the fact that most investors, you know, in the U.S. and, and around the world even, most Christian investors are invested in companies that uh, support or sometimes even profit from unbiblical activities such as abortion, pornography, addiction, uh, you know, child labor, and other, other unbiblical activities that, you know, that we, you know, I, I know your podcast isn't necessarily a Christian audience, but my people that I'm talking to are. And so that we as Christians, you know, wouldn't want to be involved with, we wouldn't want to be profiting from. We believe that the money that we're invested, that, that everything belongs to God. And so we are, are just stewards and we have to be mindful of how he would want us to use his money and so in our spending and our giving and even in our investments. So that was the first problem that I became aware of. And that really was what got me into the you know, investment industry as a financial advisor. And so initially I was helping families, you know, move money from secular mutual funds into these biblically screened mutual funds. And there's, there's really lots of them that exist today. So we just help them move their money over so that they could be confident that their investments align with their values, that the funds they were using had been screened so that there weren't any of these companies that were, you know, however involved in um, these activities that, that our clients wouldn't have wanted to be involved in. But after I did that, you know, I learned that, hey, once we moved the money, that was really the easy part. That was a, a generally an easy sale, so to speak, and an easy process. And then people needed real financial advice. They still needed real financial planning. They needed help, you know, making wise decisions. And, you know, they would be all across the board in terms of their needs based on age and situation. And so I became very passionate, not only about helping people you know, improve their stewardship through those types of investments, but, you know, solve the the financial problems that all of us face and and that we're trying to figure out. And so after several years of following what what I tend to call the typical financial approach, following that as an advisor, following that personally, with the one exception of using these biblical mutual funds, I discovered 
that, again, most U.S. families are losing substantial wealth or substantial wealth potential due to this approach. You know, they're, they're losing wealth and they're losing control. And so then I began to figure out how, how do we solve that problem? And I'm happy to talk about, you know, what causes that. I don't know how much time we'll have for it. So yeah. you can kind of lead that part of the conversation with yeah. me. I wanted to back up a little bit, though, okay, and, sure. and say, you know, I just remember it's probably been eight or 10 years ago, I mean, probably, I don't know, eight years or so ago when like it was exposed to me that by investing in the mutual funds that I had or whatever it may have been that I was investing in things that I completely disagreed with and would never want to support. Like it, it didn't even cross my mind until then. Like it just, I just didn't even think about that that was happening, you know? Yeah. I was just going to agree. I think that's in my experience, 95% of people at least, you know, that I talked to and myself included, we were introduced to this idea, this realization, this fact of what's going on. It's, it's been a rare person that calls up and it's been like, I was thinking about my investments and what is going on behind the scenes and the companies that I'm invested in. And, you know, that has happened, but it's really unusual. So I think most people are in the boat that you and I were in that someone else brought this to our attention. I had forgotten. We talked about this before. I'd forgotten that you had used the biblically screened mutual funds at some time in the past. Right, right. I had. And, and you know, and the reason I bring this up, and I, I think you're a great guest too, like for the listeners is like, you know, I want the listeners to be thinking about like, what are you invested in? You know, not all of my investments are in, in real estate while that's the majority, you know, by far, but it's, it still have some mutual funds still a lot of us, even if our mindset shift completely to investing in real estate, most of us still have some mutual funds sitting back there doing something. You know, yeah. and just thinking about what are those funds invested in? I just feel like you should know. And even if you're not a Christian, you know, there's probably still things you're potentially invested in that you don't agree with or or that you, you, you haven't thought through, you know. And and even as a as you're investing in real estate, I just encourage you to have this mindset of, you know, that operator that you're investing with. You know, like, what do they stand up for? You know, because you're investing in their company as well. You're investing alongside them. And you know, just knowing some more details about them and their company and what they stand for, I just think it's very important. Yeah, there's been a, a growing industry over the last couple of decades, really, called values-based investing. And so, you know, biblical-based investing or biblically responsible investing is, is a subset of that. And so, you know, for people who wouldn't share, uh, you know, my values, personally, there there certainly are mutual funds out there to fit any value set, you know, there, there are ones that are very focused on environmental consciousness or I don't know, there's, there's other things, but uh, there, there, there's many of them out there now. So people really can invest not only for profit, but to support whatever it is that's important to them through these value-based screened, you know, mutual funds. So let's talk about that, that losing wealth and control a little bit and what causes that, like you were talking about a few minutes ago. Yeah, so this was definitely an unplanned discovery on my part. I'd had a couple of meetings with a financial planner, a Christian financial planner out of Louisiana, and uh, he was sharing with me his retirement investment strategy. So this was specifically for people who were about to enter retirement or you know already in retirement, and how he helped them manage their uh, you know mutual funds. It was all you know stock market based investments, and we talked about the just reality of, of volatility in the market long term how are we going to manage these inevitable ups and downs and specifically the downs while taking income and, and having to make it last a long time. And so I won't go into, into great detail, but as part of this very fact-based presentation that I was learning from him and I was beginning to implement the strategy in this presentation with my own clients who were at the age that it made sense, I saw that over 38 years at that 
period of time that I was doing this. I'm, I don't try to update that year every year. I just remember at that time, it had been 38 years since we began looking at these bear markets, these historical bear markets in the market, that the this S&P 500 had grown 19 times over that 38 year period. And I knew that, you know, just looking at a long-term perspective that the, the S&P 500 tends to return, you know, about nine and a half, 10% a year over really long periods of time. That's a, a, a decent average to, to count on. And so I knew those facts and I was talking with my daughter who was eight at the time and, and she owned $8 of low stock and $8 of Cracker Barrel stock. So we, she wanted to learn about investing. She's very entrepreneurial minded. She's always trying to figure out how she can make money. So I was trying to, you know, as a good financial advisor, dad, teach her <laughs> how to be an investor. And, uh, and those companies were publicly responsible. So she had these, you know, these two stocks and within like two weeks, she was wanting to get her money back out and spend her 20 bucks or, or whatever on something. And so I was trying to show her, uh, you know, like any responsible parent, I got a compound interest calculator out for my eight-year-old and was trying to use, you know, $1 and show her what that could do over time. Of course, she very quickly didn't care and, and walked away from that conversation. But I decided to kind of test what I had been seeing in this presentation and what I had been talking with clients about using this calculator. And so I put, you know, just a dollar into the calculator, 10% a year average, for 38 years and fully expecting it to have grown to $19, you know, over that period of time. And I hit the button and it had grown to $38. And that was um, just a coincidence of 38 years and a 38 times was just a coincidence. But, you know, the calculator said it should have had a, a, a result that was twice as much as what we were seeing in the market. And I thought, what caused that? You know, if it had been slightly off, no big deal, but this was a huge difference. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, this is a calculator. It's there's no, there's no emotions, there's no mistakes, there's no fees, there's nothing. It's just a calculator. The market or the, the indexes anyway, they're just tracking. You know, again, there's no fees, there's no emotions, there's no errors. It's just tracking what happened. The only difference between these two, if they're both averaging 10%, is that one is a fixed return and one is a variable return or a volatile return. And that really made me think about how volatility may be impacting uh, long-term returns. So I course, being the nerd that I am, I built this big spreadsheet calculator and tested multiple hypothetical scenarios. And, and I won't walk through all of those, but, but basically I found that the more volatility there was, the more variable variation in returns, uh, the, the less money was there at the end. And it became very substantial, you know, losing 30, 40% over 30 years, just, just due to volatility. And then I added fees onto that. And I knew, you know, my clients paid fees and, and, you know, everyone has to pay for the people they work with and you know, partners in some way. But these types of fees are on top of or they're after, you know, the investment itself has produced its return. And so I looked at what, you know, just a 2% fee would do to someone's portfolio over 30, 30 years. And again, it was a, you know, 30 plus percent uh, reduction in wealth. And so like looking at those two things in combination, if someone did exactly what I was advising them to do and the majority of financial advisors was advising them to do, they were on track to lose over 50% of their wealth, you know, in a 30 year period of time. And it gets worse if you keep on investing in retirement. So then I began learning about other things as well, other, other problems. But the solution that I found, again, unplanned, uh, I was introduced to three different uh, non-Wall Street type investments within a pretty short period of time. They, they weren't all necessarily good investments, but they did uh, open my eyes to the fact that people could get, you know, equity-like or stock market-like returns not without risk, but certainly without the volatility and without the additional fees and costs that come along with stock market investing. So things have gotten much more sophisticated. I've learned a whole lot more and, and you know, how to vet these and how to find new investments and how to work with different ones and, and 
brought even more to the table for my clients in terms of how to help them preserve their wealth and, and not lose so much wealth and maintain control. But that was really the beginning of it. And so then I started introducing, you know, the one of those three that I thought was a good option to just a handful of clients and was uh, really pleasantly surprised to hear how excited they were to have an alternative to the stock market. And so I thought there's, there's real opportunity here. And so then, you know, several years later, I'm continuing to learn and was introduced to you and actually I heard you on another podcast. And uh, so, you know, reached out and, and, you know, have been excited to learn more about LifeBridge Capital and, and everything that you're doing as one of the, you know, one of the, the several different alternative investments that, that we're able to introduce clients to. Nice. So you're talking about like the 2% fee was more than 20 or 30% reduction. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, you know, you think about just 2%, you think, well, okay, that's just the front cost of doing business. But, but then when you think 30% reduction, I mean, that's, that's a lot, you know, that is a, you know, it's neat to just to hear that. So it kind of sticks in our mind a little bit. So we can really think through that, you know, and, and maybe you can elaborate on like how, again, how you've, how you help clients to reduce that, that loss you know, or what that looks like, or maybe what we should be thinking, you know, if we're working with somebody like yourself or how we reduce that reduction. Well, from a fee standpoint, it certainly made me as an advisor become much more fee sensitive, you know, for my clients. Now that obviously means a, you know, potential reduction in revenue on my end, but, but sometimes that revenue reduction on my end is relatively small, but the impact it can have on my clients is, is massive. One of the another, I guess, sub discovery, you know, in, in building that spreadsheet, I, I looked again at those fees and I wondered how much of this, uh, in this particular scenario that I ran, so the numbers would change, of course. So, but in this particular one, it was a $360,000 loss, two fees over this 30 year period of time. And I'll say how much of that was actually the fees. And it was just under 50%, maybe 48% was actually fees, the rest of that loss. So, you know, $180,000 in this instance was loss opportunity cost. It was the money that those fees, you know, that those dollars were not able to grow into. And so that $200 fee in year one and that $250 fee in year two, you know, and as it grows, that added up because those dollars lost 30 years of compounding interest in those scenarios. And it really made an impact. So it certainly made me rethink my model and how can I bring value to clients in a way that I can reduce or sometimes eliminate their out-of-pocket fee cost altogether. And so that had that has become possible by working with, you know, alternative or non Wall Street investment providers who sometimes are able to compensate me in a way that it doesn't have to come out of the client's pocket. And so it can save them money there. Or it means I'm working with mutual funds or uh, mutual fund managers who have lower fees. And so maybe we're not eliminating it, but we're trying to reduce it as much as possible. It has in some instances gone to me charging flat fees to my clients rather than percentage based fees because it's the same amount of work. And why should one person pay me a thousand and someone else pay me 10,000 for the same amount of work? You know, I just appreciate, you know, like if I'm working with you, like appreciate that you are thinking this way, you know, that you're looking for our alternative methods of even, you know, your say yourself gaining an income. So it doesn't affect, you know, my returns as much. I just, I just think that's another perk of working with somebody like yourself. But one thing I wanted to bring up uh, before we move to a few final questions is like, you're talking about your daughter investing or owning some stock. Uh, tell me a little about how you introduced that to her or, or just to children in general, just your thoughts on in introducing them to investing and, you know, when, and, and maybe a little bit about how you've done that. 
Well, I wouldn't say that has been successful yet, to be quite honest. <laughs> she hasn't <laughs> retired, retired yet. Huh? No, still doesn't care too much about investing. So she's still taking a very short-term approach to, to money. And the other two children are, are younger. So her big concern right now is, is learning how to make money, which that has been really interesting, uh, to be honest. I have been able to give her some, I think, interesting ways of thinking about making money and starting her own business, you know, very small scale. But I think if I were if I were trying to teach children, I would begin by teaching them to save, not to invest. And, uh, you know, I think when they, whatever their income is, whether it's an allowance, whether it's money they make, you know, at home doing chores or mowing the neighbor's yard or they, you know, they're old enough to get a job or whatever, um, you know, whatever that is, I would encourage them first to learn, you know, learn to tithe and learn to save. And when they have become very good savers, then I think it's time to have conversations about investing. And from there, I would uh, refer them to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, now I just think it's it's so important that we're teaching from a very early age, and I we, I try to share what I can, you know, with my boys, and you know, they're five and seven, and uh, just to get them thinking that way, you know. And we we have a we have a little like a little banks for them, and there's three sections. There's like a give and uh, what give and uh, save and. Uh, my goodness, what is it? Spend, I guess. Spend, yes. Yep. Yeah, there you go. You know, and just thinking through, you know, how do we split this up? How are we thinking ahead? And, and uh, or maybe they do spend a little too much and then they, they kind of have the hard reality of, well, I don't have any money to spend now. And it's kind of some, it's it's better for them to experience that with, with $20 than it is 2000 later, right? Yep. So I'm, I'm uh, happy to let my kids blow their money and feel the pain of it later because if they can learn that now, they will avoid a lot of pain as adults, I, I hope. That's my hope. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Well, well, Jared, what what about how do you help people prepare for, you know, like a potential downturn or maybe something like we're, you know, experiencing now, you know, how are you uh, helping people prepare for, you know, something like that? Yeah, I think I think two main ways there. One is not being afraid to have cash. I think that most of us want to keep as little cash as we can, you know, we'll have our emergency fund. And for some people that's, you know, very small for some people, it's three to six months, maybe 12 months tops. I rarely see more than 12 months uh, of expenses. And I think the reason is that we're afraid to save more cash because we don't have a productive place to put it. And if we had a place where cash can earn money, can be productive, but still maintain liquidity, we would be much less afraid of missing out, you know, on the returns for, for having cash. So I do try, and there's, there's a few options for that. I do try to help people find productive places to store their cash so that when the market has these downturns or whatever kind of economic problems or difficulties arise, they're just in a much more secure position. The other way is by using non-volatile assets, non-correlated assets like real estate investments and, and other types of non-Wall Street investments. Uh, so again, not that they don't have risk, not that they may not face um, some impact from you know the, the broad economy as a whole, but they shouldn't just plummet in value, you know, the way that the stock market can. So, you know, I, I believe that whether you still maintain some money in the market or not, that adding non-market assets really is, is true diversification. I don't care how many mutual funds somebody owns, they pretty much all act the same, you know, with small variants. So, so I really encourage people to have money, whether it's in cash, whether it's in alternative investments, both is best outside of the market so that they're really in a good position to, to take advantage of whatever opportunities arise and, you know, avoid huge impact, devastating impact from, again, whatever may arise in the economy. What's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? I think that I am always striving to be really creative in, in finding solutions. I'm always willing to have multiple conversations to ask 
unusual questions to maybe even seem weird in my asking of questions to find solutions that are going to be a win-win for everyone. I don't like settling for this is good enough or this is okay. I really want to find the best solutions for people. So, you know, for, for me, it has been getting creative and how can I be compensated in such a way that is a win for everyone and it's not taking money out of my client's pockets or it's, you know, reducing whatever, reducing that or how can I structure my business in such a way that I can do multiple things that most advisors aren't able or, or you know, willing to do at the same time. I think I've recently added a lot of uh, informal partners to my business and, uh, and that has been extremely helpful in a, in a variety of areas. I brought on a partner for my podcast, you know, rather than just hiring someone out, I wanted someone who really had an incentive to help make it grow and make it the best so that he's not just editing, you know, he's co-hosting, he's, he is editing, but he cares about it growing and doing really well. Smart. And so I think that will pay great dividends in the future because he's truly a partner and not just, um, you know, not a vendor. Love that. Thinking outside the box and with partnerships as well. But even earlier there, you, you talked about asking good questions. Like it's so important that we're, that we ask good questions. The questions you ask are, are so important. Uh, so tell us, you know, how are you finding investors right now? You know, to be quite honest, that, that has been the challenge. And I find that that is a challenge for a lot of advisors. I think there are a lot of really good financial professionals, whatever licenses they have. There's a lot of really good ones out there. And many don't realize getting into the business that you not only have to be a financial advisor and be knowledgeable there, but you have to be a salesperson to some degree. You, you are a business owner, you know, unless someone is bringing the, you know, the prospective clients to you, which is very unusual, you have to wear a lot of hats. And so that's been a challenge for me. You know, I've been able to do great work and had great relationships with the clients that I've had, but, but adding new clients has been a consistent challenge. And I think it is for the majority of people, you know, in my industry. So over the last year, year and a half, I've been really, really focused on just getting good at that, doing whatever it takes to learn how to be able to systematically bring in new clients and realizing there's opportunity there to serve other advisors like myself who aren't good at that. You know, I personally know a, a number of people who I think are very trustworthy, high integrity, great advisors, and they struggle to be, in, to be able to talk to enough clients. There's so many people they could help if they had the ability to if they had the opportunity to talk with them. So I really want to make that a possibility as well. I want to be able to have enough clients that I can serve those families, those advisors by bringing clients to them. So I have done that by taking courses on how to grow social media and, you know, have a, a larger presence that way. Um, obviously starting a podcast, uh, it's a relative, it's relatively young at this point. So starting that podcast and then um, looking at being a guest on shows just like yours and others who would speak to an audience who would find, you know, what I have to say interesting. And there's other things planned for the future, but I can only do so much at once. So, <laughs> sure. yeah. Jared, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Well, I mentioned at the very beginning, I think that, that many things have been providential. So I think many of the things I have discovered, many of the relationships that I have, you know, as I look back, most of the really big, you know, career changing things that have happened were not planned. They were not out of my efforts. And, you know, I, I do work hard. I think I'm fairly smart and certainly innovative in, in what I do. I hope this doesn't seem cliche, but in, I mean, in reality, I think that the Lord has been growing my business and I'm very much along for the ride. I think outside of that, it has been being willing to think very outside of the box to do what is not typically done. I think I tend to be pretty contrarian in a lot of ways. And I think that can lead to a very successful business. And how do you like to give back? 
you know, financially, most of my giving back right now is, is through tithing, is through giving to my local church. I certainly like to give back with my time. You know, I like to give back helping people, whether they can, you know, pay me for it, whether it's a really small, you know, opportunity, but I know they could use the help. I know I've been in those positions where I can use, you know, could use the help. So I like to give back in that way. And certainly I think that helping my clients, you know, be able to recover wealth that they're likely to lose, be able to provide great service in a way that costs them less or nothing is a really great way of giving back and helping other great investment providers you know, like yourself, be able to find clients and, and have more people coming in. And it's just a very, very, you know, win-win situation that I think brings value to everyone. So I do feel like the, the fruit of my labor, so to speak, is very impactful and, uh, and, and gives back. I look forward to giving back in other ways as the business grows. And, you know, there is more surplus with which to do that. Uh, I'm very excited about those times and opportunities as well. Nice. Well, Jared, grateful for your time today. And I just appreciate just helping us really think through or maybe even change our mindset on what we're investing in, how we're investing, just knowing what we're investing in, you know, just the value-based investing. Uh, and even just the points you brought up about losing the wealth and control and thinking about what that, how that those things affect us long-term. Just uh, It seems small now, but over a long period of time, wow, you know, to really think through that. And even uh, teaching our kids to invest a little bit uh, as well. So, Jared, grateful for your time. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, thanks. You can find my website at biblicalwealthsolutions.com. Uh, you're welcome to send me an email if you have any questions, comments at uh, hello at biblicalwealthsolutions.com. And, you know, I'd be happy to share more. You hear more of my story, hear more of uh, what we're doing for clients at the Biblical Wealth Podcast. So trying to make everything streamlined there. It should be very easy to find me <laughs> with the name. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.